a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. 106 is the time here in the KSL newsroom. Very grateful to you for tuning in today on this Monday episode number 288. Not too bad here uh, on the air, spending some time with you these afternoons. I, If you remember, about a year and 45 days ago, roundabout, uh, I sat down uh, up on Utah's Capitol Hill. This is before uh, COVID showed up and we could move around freely. Uh, I broadcast for a day from Utah's Capitol Hill, and uh, on that occasion, I had the, a wonderful opportunity to speak with uh, so many uh, lawmakers, uh, met a new, a few new faces, uh, learned about some new legislation. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it broke my heart that we weren't able to, thanks to COVID, uh, do the same this year, uh, but that in no measure means that we ought uh, turn our attention away from what's happening on Utah's Capitol Hill. And so you'll, you'll hear throughout the week today as the general session winds down an added focus, a more intense focus on uh, what's going on up there, what bills are making it, what bills uh, are floundering or being uh, defeated uh, otherwise. And that's going to continue throughout the week. It'll happen here on this program. Uh, in the mornings, you can hear an intense focus on Utah's Capitol Hill by David Dejanovic. It's a, it's a big undertaking here because, as you know, <laughs> the legislature, you know, that, that's a group of men and women who are uh, voted into office to make the laws that govern this beautiful state. All right. The state uh, in which you and I uh, live and call home and raise our family and live our lives. And law, state law, has great impact on that. All right, uh, enough of the schoolhouse rock. One of the gentlemen I spoke with uh, last year uh, face-to-face, in this instance, on the issue of firearms legislation, uh, joins me uh, today. Uh, Representative Corey Malloy on the line now. Representative, sir, how are you? I'm doing great, Lee. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, what we're going to do this week at about this time each day is we're going to focus on firearms legislation. And uh, let me just start out by asking you, Representative, the the basic question. Has the legislative session this year been, been a net positive or net negative for firearms enthusiasts? Well, I, I would have to say a, a net positive because the king of uh, firearm bills uh, went through and the governor's already signed it, and that was constitutional carry. That, that's, a, that's a great and a great new law that we're going to be able to enjoy uh, protecting our rights here, section rights here in the city of Utah. So I would say it's a, uh, a net positive, but um, we've had a few other great bills that are kind of getting stalled over there in the Senate Rules Committee. And I'm not sure if we're going to see him come out. So we'll just have to see. One of those bills you mentioned is your own piece of legislation, which has to do with primacy and preemption. Describe that to us. What does it do, please? 
Well, it's a it's a preemption bill that uh, uh, basically reinforces the fact that the state of Utah has the full field of regulation as it relates to firearms. So our political subdivisions, our cities, our counties, our municipalities uh, cannot create ordinances or laws that are more restrictive than state laws that relates to firearms or if the state has given them authority to do so. So this bill puts a little more teeth into it. It gives people recourse if there's a political subdivision that insists on continuing to enforce a, a firearms or, ordination, so to speak, and gives them recourse as far as being able to take the, the political subdivision to court. And then what it also does this year is uh, it basically takes a stand against new federal firearm laws that may come down the pike. And uh, basically it says says, uh, that the uh, state of Utah and its agencies cannot enforce new firearm laws that come from the federal government that are more restrictive than what we have set in uh, here in Utah. So it's a good law in that uh, it basically takes a stand against what we would consider gun control laws or uh, non-friendly Second Amendment laws um, that may come from the federal government. Fascinating on, on both fronts, both the, the relationship mm-hmm. that we would have then with the federal government as well as the, the relationship between the state government and then uh, the, the, the more local levels of government, as you phrase the subdivisions of the state. Uh, t- talk to me yeah. first about that, and help me understand because I, you know, I I, I worked for Congressman Rob Bishop for a long time. I have uh, you know for a mm-hmm. long time been a small government, uh, and the smallest is the best. The smallest government is the government closest to the people. H- h- how does this jive uh, with that school of thought? In that the the state could tell uh, you know say Salt Lake County or uh, any municipality or subdivision that might put in place a more restrictive firearm law than at the state level. How's that yeah. different? How's well, that for, different from the states saying to the federal government, "Hey, leave us alone. We know our people." Yeah, well, it, it's different in that um, the Utah State Constitution makes it very clear that the state will be the only entity that can re- regulate firearm laws. So that's number one. But number two, uh, as it relates to preemption in the state, um, we don't want to have different laws in different cities and or counties where all of a sudden. You are trying to figure out, well, am I breaking the law in this county? Because I'm not in this county. And so it just brings continuity to all of the citizens of Utah, wherever they travel throughout the state. Now, the federal aspect of it is it's, it's similar in that um, the, uh, the state will not enforce federal firearm laws that are more restrictive than state laws. And, but then it kind of converts, and the uh, attorney general's office would be involved in helping determine whether that is the case or not. Um, And I've had some uh, pretty good discussions with the Attorney General's office. Um, They have actually given us some ideas that would help uh, make it better as far as how they would uh, uh, do that process. But then if, if, so let's say uh, a political subdivision starts enforcing a federal law, then the state would, uh, you know, they would very similarly to the preemptive law, they would be against this law, and then uh, people would have a recourse, just like they would in the preemption part, to uh, then uh, you know bring that to a court yeah. if that's what they would desire. Well, 
my my understanding of the, of the of this of these two relationships really the the states with the federal government and then the states with uh, the subdivisions of the state government itself is that the states that that that, that word subdivision is key in that you know the mm-hmm. counties and municipalities are outgrowths of the state and that is not the case that's not the case uh, in our in our republic here that the states. Uh, are not outgrowths of the federal government. In fact, equal partners. Uh, and so, yeah. anyway, that's how I've always wrapped my mind around uh, these types of uh, preemption uh, measures. In that, uh, the state really is the localist of the most local of governments. Anyway, uh, that, that's exactly right. What's your level of optimism? Are you going to be able to get this all the way through, or are we going to have to hold on to this to another year? Well, I'm going to remain optimistic, but uh, you know, in all honesty, it looks like we may have to wait another year. Well, keep at where it. it's at. Where, where it's at now, we're getting to down to the wire, and it's still in Senate rules that passed the uh, House committee uh, unanimously, at least among the majority party, and also among the House as well. So, as uh, we have uh, a whole bunch of uh, co-sponsors on the bill, so mm-hmm. if we can get it out of uh, the Senate rules. I think we could take it somewhere, but then. We'll just have to see how that goes. Yeah, a lot of decisions to be made by uh, rules leadership right now. Let's hope to make the right ones. Uh, Representative Malloy, oh, you call him. You should call him. Should I give him a call? All right, I'll Please. give him a call. I got a, I got a pretty loud uh, <laughs> telephone over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, Representative, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your work here. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, all right, listen, we're going to take a break right now. When we return, I want to talk to you about a piece of legislation mentioned there by the representative, and that is the permitless carry law that will go into effect here in the state of Utah come May 5th. It means that you can, if otherwise legally able to own and carry a firearm, you can do so in a concealed fashion here in the state without a permit. How does that make you feel? Will you be carrying now? Will you continue to get a permit? That's going to stay. Listen, you don't need to use your real name if you don't want. I know that these are uh, sometimes private questions, but I am very curious. I want to talk to you. So pick up the phone, 801-575-8255, 801-575-8255. Utah's newest law, the permitless carry, constitutional carry, concealing a firearm without a permit. What do you think? What's it do to your behavior? Your call's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. You and I uh, have often talked about firearms and the Second Amendment. I think it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a firearms enthusiast. Uh, when I can, I, I like to get out to the range. I like to go hunting. Uh, over the past couple years, I've gotten into something called armoring. It's not quite gunsmithing. Gunsmithing is for, like, artists with real skill. Uh, armoring is kind of like adult Legos, where you get some instructions, you buy a bunch of parts, and you put those parts together, and uh, you know when all is said and done, you have assembled a firearm. And uh, well, no gunsmithing required. I'm not. I'm not filing down anything. I, I'm not uh, crafting nice, uh, elegant, and sleek wooden stocks. Now I'm just. It's it's adult Legos, right? It's adult Legos. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a, a hobby and a practice that I that I enjoy. And uh, in bigger picture, when Utah gets together each year for the general session of the legislature. One of the things I pay very close attention to are the the firearms laws, either the restrictions that are proposed or the relaxing of certain restrictions that are proposed. And uh, and each year it's it's something new. 
I remember the first time I really got involved in firearms legislation. It goes all the way back to uh, 2010. And I was an intern up on Utah's Capitol Hill serving uh, alongside uh, then-Representative Carl Wimmer. Remember that? Uh, Carl Wimmer, uh, District 52 was his district. And uh, an interesting side note there, uh, another guest on this on this program, a frequent guest, Candace Perucci, Representative Perucci. You, you, you likely recognize that name. I think she is the youngest, if not uh, one of the youngest, representatives up on Utah's Capitol Hill. Uh, she was another intern working for uh, Representative Wimmer that session. And uh, so it was that, uh, you know, just... Uh, just 10 years later, she would be representing the same district. Anyway, kind of a cool thing. Uh, and during that legislative session, there was a legislative idea that arose. And legislative text was drafted. And it was to uh, bring about, as one of the state symbols, the very first state firearm for the state of Utah. Uh, John Moses Browning designed, designed the Colt 1911 he did so uh, right here in Utah. That firearm would go on to be, uh, you know, affixed to the hip of American fighting men and women around the world for, uh, well, the last century. And so on the 100th year anniversary, the subsequent legislative session, uh, that piece of legislation that we worked on the year before in 2010 uh, ultimately became law or at least was signed into law and added to the list of state symbols was uh, the Colt M1911. The, the, the John Moses Browning designed Colt M1911, uh, a handgun, 45 caliber. And anyway, it was a point of pride. I had uh, my, my hand in that. And, uh, and each time I see the, the 1911 either at the range or in a catalog or uh, wherever you might encounter one, I, uh, I get a little thrill because I know that, uh, that here in Utah, at least on the legislative side of things, I was able to uh, bring a little recognition to that uh, that beautiful firearm. Anyway, that's all a tangent. The question right now uh, deals with a piece of legislation which has passed the House. It's passed the Senate. It's, in fact, already been signed by Governor Spencer Cox. What is it? It's this idea of a permitless carry, constitutional carry, as it's called by some. On May 5th, come May 5th, here in the state of Utah, you, if you are otherwise legally able to possess and carry a firearm, you can do so then in a concealed fashion without a permit. It does away with the, the permit. And we have talked about this uh, in, in pretty, we've talked about it a number of times. But you and I haven't been able to go back and forth. I've always had like legislators on or uh, people with this view or that view. I haven't until today had the opportunity to open up the phones and uh, get, get your take on this. Uh, some of the texters have written in. Um, interesting, this one says, I believe that the permitless carry is similar to getting rid of vehicle inspections. For most, it works, but for a few, and then dot, dot, dot. Okay. Uh, another one Another one says, hey, I just paid to get my concealed carry permit. I wish I'd waited now and not paid for the permit. Well, that's all right. Uh, there are certainly benefits of getting a permit here in the state of Utah, which you still can do. This permitless carry doesn't abolish or do away with the Utah permit. It simply makes it uh, legal to carry without the permit. What's the value of a Utah permit? Well, there are a a number of states. It's 35-plus, I believe, uh, states outside of Utah that have relationships, reciprocating relationships with the state of Utah, meaning if you have a Utah permit, that state will allow you to carry uh, your firearm in a concealed fashion uh, under you know the authority of the Utah permit. 
That uh, was the case in Virginia when I was living out there. I know there are many other states. Uh, but I want to hear from you. Uh, so uh, we've got a few minutes here before we wrap up. 801-575-8255 is the number. Let's first go to David in Provo. David, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing good, Liz. It's good to talk to you. I used to listen to your dad every day on the way into work. We're the same age. Outstanding. Uh, you have the same pattern in your voice. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I don't know that I have the same mind. He was pretty quick-witted. I'm still trying to catch up. <laughs> Tell me, yeah, David, what you I think, think about this uh, about this bill here, about the law, rather. I think it's wrong. I, I really do. I, I see a couple of faults with it. Number one, when a police officer pulls me over, the first thing out of my mouth is, I'm a concealed carrier. I do or do not have a weapon on me. He knows right off the bat if there's a weapon in the vehicle. Well, according to this new law, don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have two sons. One, Both of them have guns. Uh, one of them has a concealed carry permit. The other one, thank God, does not. Uh, doesn't have the uh, brain power, I don't think, to think through the things and choices he'd need to make to carry a gun out in public. Uh, I think the, the law is wrong. I like the fact that people who have a concealed carry permit have, one, gone through a background check. Not just a background check to see if you can buy a gun, but a background check that says, uh, there's other people who believe you're sane enough to carry a gun in public and not be doing stupid stuff with it, which I think we're going to find a lot of uh, gun foul-ups coming if we do this. Mm. Uh, but two, you go through that training that tells you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, carrying a concealed weapon, the responsibilities you take. You're not a police officer, but you're allowed to carry a weapon, and the responsibilities that goes along with carrying that weapon and what happens if you pull that weapon out? Well, my son, who just went down and bought a gun because he's old enough, doesn't have that. Sure. Listen, David, I, I'm grateful to you for the, the call. We're tied up against the break here. Got to let you go. But uh, let me just respond. Uh, the, the, the training is uh, is often focused on I've, – I've taken these concealed carry permit classes uh, uh, a number of times. Um, mine expired once, and I hadn't renewed it in time. Had to go back. Anyway, uh, and – the, the curriculum is good, uh, but it varies widely. It's not a standardized thing for the most part. And so it's, you know, you're not getting the same type of training depending on which class you go. In fact, there are some where the, the bare minimum is to uh, essentially just make whatever curriculum you'd like. And then you, know, you sign off and you end up with a, a permit. And so the, the value of training, or at least the requirement of training, is not as stringent as many folks think when responding to uh, this this aspect of the legislation. That to go without the training uh, leaves you, you know, dangerous and uh, you know a threat to those around you. It's it's not exactly that cut and dry. My apologies to Ron in Salt Lake who has called in, is waiting on hold. Not going to have time to get to you, but uh, uh, very grateful to you for. Uh, your participation and for listening to the program today. Uh, I'll point out, Ron uh, says that good guys aren't the problem. It's the bad guys who cause the trouble. I'm going to take a quick break right now. When we return, I'll be joined by the president of the NAACP Salt Lake branch, Janetta Williams. We're going to shift gears pretty dramatically and turn our sights again to St. George and Dixie State University. Should the name stay the same or should it change? Ms. Williams thinks it's time for a change. That conversation is next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. 
it was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.